Hey, will you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 7 again? We're spending a lot of time in Luke 7. If you'll go ahead and turn there. Read with me starting in verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. I want to invite you into this story. We've got some pictures on the screen. I want you to imagine that you're there on a hot, dusty day in the Galilean countryside. And as you follow the crowd that's carrying this young man who has died, you can see just up ahead of you the, the buyer that they're carrying him on or the little platform that they carried the dead body on. And there are tears in the eyes of many people and you can see the, the tears streaming down their faces and the, the sun glistening in the tears. And as you walk behind this platform, you're just a part of a larger crowd. There are the professional mourners who wail loudly so that it doesn't draw as much attention to the family when they wail and weep for their lost loved ones. Really, in light of the clinical way in which we grieve in our current system, it's a rather compassionate way to go about things. Behind those professional wailers are some who are carrying spices who will anoint the body. And you're just a part of a larger crowd that's walking along through the city streets. You began at the home of the widow. And you wound your way through the streets, and it's a pretty good-sized crowd that you're a part of because in a small Middle Eastern village like this one, death touches everyone. And death is common enough. You've seen it plenty of times, but still it touches you, and so everyone is a part of this procession. And you make it through the streets to the city gate, and you're about to go out to the city gate, and you're going to walk up a hillside where this family has a burial plot, a, a cave in the side of the mountain. Except you know that that cave is not empty. Because the father of the young man who has passed away, his bones are there. The husband of the widow who's now lost her son and her husband, her husband's bones are there. And so you're headed from this little town outside the village, or outside the gate, up to that, that little cave on the hillside. Except when you get to the edge of town, the edge of the gate, and you're about to go outside the gate, you see a group of people following one particular man and they just happen to be coming upon the city gate as you are a part of this funeral procession walking outside of, walking outside of that gate. And you've seen, you think, this man before. Northern Galilee is not a very populous area and so maybe, maybe you've seen his face before, maybe from nearby Nazareth. It's not a big place. If he lived there, you'd probably seen him before, but there's something vaguely familiar about him, and yet there's something awkward about this moment, because as he and his crowd begin to converge with the mourning crowd that you're a part of, you notice that he can't seem to take his eyes off the mourning widow. 
And you watch as he looks at her and he just keeps looking at her and you can see in his eyes a sense of compassion. And before you know it, and before anybody can really know what's going to happen, he comes up upon this funeral procession and he reaches down and he actually touches the buyer or the platform that the body is on. And it's shocking to everyone. Because you don't, other than the people carrying it, nobody touches that platform. Because to touch the body or even the platform would then render you unclean. Alright, so now this man that you're watching awkwardly converge on your procession is now made himself unclean by touching this funeral platform. But before you know it, not only does he touch the platform, he leans down and he does the strangest thing, and he speaks to the dead man that you knew he was your friend. He speaks to his dead body. And not only does he speak to his dead body, you hear him say, young man, rise up. And by now, everyone's starting to murmur and they're confused. What in the world is this stranger doing as he comes up upon this funeral procession? And to the shock and amazement and a little bit of horror of everyone, not only does he tell the boy to rise up, but the boy begins to rise up, or the young man begins to rise up. By now, there are gasps in the crowd. And you're one of the people gasping. You don't know whether to scream out of fear or to run away or to be excited. And everyone is, is starting to get kind of worked up. And everyone's excited, but everyone's scared and everyone's amazed. And everyone's looking in different directions. They don't know if they should look at the poor mother who now, who now whose face is now a mix of shock and laughter and happiness, she has lost everything. And that's why this funeral procession is such a big deal. As a widow in the ancient Near Eastern world, she, she just depended on her son for everything. And now with no social security, no investment, no retirement funds, she has nothing. And now her son is alive. And so some people find themselves looking at her. And some people find themselves looking at the young man who is now alive. But some people can't take their eyes off of the man who did all of this. And there are people saying things about the prophets. Could we have another prophet? And then someone says a phrase that you haven't heard in your life. You've read the phrase, but you've never heard somebody say. And somebody says that God has visited His people. Not in terms of a social visit, but in the way that the prophets of old said this phrase. And it meant that God has come near His people to rescue them. Could this be the moment that you've been waiting for? That your village, that your people have been waiting for for hundreds of years? Has God finally decided to visit His people? It's an amazing moment and you're a part of it and you'll never forget it. Now as you step away from that moment for just a second, we're reminded of, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to step away from that scenario and I want you to imagine your own scenario of the darkest moment. This is kind of dark, it's kind of heavy, especially after a heavy meal like this. I want you to imagine that you're facing one of your deepest, darkest moments that you've fear. Maybe it's a diagnosis or a death 
or a tragedy or an embarrassment. So a moment that you fear more than any others, and you're, you're right there in the middle of that moment. Can you imagine just as Jesus walks up in this, into this funeral procession in this small village at the gate, can you imagine Jesus walking into your situation right now? We say, well, let's put a halt on things right there, Matt, because it's easy to imagine ourselves into this story that Jesus was actually in in Luke chapter 7, but I can't imagine him in my story because, well, it's my story, it's my problem, I have to deal with this. And at the same time, we know what the Scriptures say, and these are familiar verses that you've heard before. Psalm 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Or Psalm 145, the Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. Or 1 Peter 5, verse 7, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. We know that, but isn't it funny that while we can imagine ourselves into this story of the poor widow woman at Nain, we have a real difficult time imagining Jesus being present and near in some of our own difficulties. And then we begin to think, you know, that's, that's fine, but it really takes some faith to get to this point, to get to a point of thinking that Jesus could actually be present in my own difficulties. And with that in mind, there's a story right here in Luke chapter 7 that tells of a man who had such faith. And we read it in our scripture reading just a minute ago. Look back in Luke chapter 7, starting with verse 1. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Capernaum's a small village where Peter was from, Jesus kind of used it as his home base. All right, small village, nothing significant. Now a centurion. All right, we'll stop there and I won't go real deep because we're after lunch, right? So the centurion would be a mid-level Roman soldier. So in the, the level of command, he's kind of mid-level. There's people above him, probably in Caesarea, 50 miles away, sending him orders. And he's got soldiers in, in Capernaum who are listening to what he says. Now here's the deal. I don't know if we have any military people in here or not, but if you are a a leader over some men in the Roman, the Roman military, the last place you want to be is Capernaum. Right? This is kind of like getting sent to the backwoods and you're thinking, great. Of all the places I could be sent in the Roman Empire, I get sent to Capernaum. And so here's a guy that probably could have been really bitter and angry just about being in Capernaum in the first place. Could have said, I don't like these people. I'm I'm better than these people. But that's not at all who this Roman centurion is. I love this. Watch how the story continues. Now, centurion had a servant who was sick. This is verse 2 of Luke 7. And at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. So he's got a servant who is dying, and it's some, a servant that is really valuable to him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him the elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. That's incredible. The Jews and the Roman soldiers didn't like each other. The Jews viewed Roman soldiers as an intrusion on who they were as God's people. And here's a Roman centurion that is so highly respected by the people that the Jewish leaders go to Jesus on, on his behalf. It's incredible. Why do they do this? Watch this. Verse 4, and they, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he, the centurion, is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. How special is this Roman centurion? He built the synagogue for the people in Capernaum. Let that sink in a second. This guy's a really high-level guy to do something like this for people in an area that he probably doesn't even want to be in. 
so the people, the local Jewish leaders say, listen, this is a real stand-up guy. You've got to help him, Jesus. Verse 5, or verse 6, and Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. He gets the authority of Jesus. He says, I'm a man of authority. If I say something, it happens. And Jesus, I know if you say something, it'll happen. You don't even have to come under my house. Verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Did you know that there's only two times in the Gospels that it says Jesus marveled at something? Two times. The other time is Mark chapter 6, verse 6. And he marvels at a lack of faith. I feel like I got really loud there for a second. He marvels at a lack of faith. Isn't that incredible? And in this case, how does he marvel? Who does he marvel at? He marvels at a Roman centurion, right? He says, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is an incredible story of a man's faith. Now, this, don't miss this. This is about Jesus and the incredible power of Jesus. And verses 11 through 17 is about the power of Jesus over death. And these verses are about the power of Jesus over illness. But there's a special focus on this Roman centurion, isn't there? Because if there's anybody that should not have faith, it's this desperate Roman centurion, right? He's an ethnic outsider. He's a religious outsider. He's a rugged Roman soldier. And he's a, he's a Gentile. He's wealthy, powerful. This is the kind of person we would look at and say, yeah, he's not going to have faith. And he's exactly the kind of guy in this story that has faith. Now, out of all of this, maybe an important lesson we could take is is this, if a wealthy Gentile Roman soldier asks Jesus to help, then I should have no hesitation asking him. Right? If this kind of guy asks Jesus for help, then any of us should have the same, should have no hesitancy. But here's the problem. It's easy to read a story like this and say, this is cool, Matt. Thanks for telling us about these miracles of Jesus. He has power over illness, power over death. We should ask him for help too. Here's the problem. We want to imagine Jesus entering our stories like this. But all of us recognize, just from experience, that life doesn't always work out the way we want it, does it? And so while it's easy to say, okay, it's fun to imagine what it would be like for Jesus to walk right into my setting, you know what, Matt, I've been there before. And there have been times when I begged God for help, and he came through. But there also have been times when I begged God to do something specific, to rescue, to help, to get us out of this circumstance, and He did not help. And He didn't come through. And so, Matt, it's hard to imagine Jesus entering into this situation, entering into my situation, just like He did these situations, because it doesn't always work out the way we want Him to. And yet still, we need to invite Him into our circumstances. And this is kind of the one thing I want to communicate to you today, for this afternoon, he is present from these stories. He is present in your darkest moments. But he may not do what you want or expect. Most of us have experienced this. He's there, he's present, but he may not do what I want or expect. But if he's present with me, that's what I need the most. More than anything else. Even if it's not, even if I don't get what I most want, I need him in that moment. 
Now, if you're a skeptic in your faith, then, then I think Joseph or Alex or others here would, would be glad to talk to you. But I'm guessing for most of you, we are people of faith, but sometimes we struggle with our faith. And if you're anything like me, I need the reminder occasionally that even though God doesn't always give me what I think I need or want, just to have him present is exactly what I need. Even when I don't get what I want, it's exactly what I need. So here's the question that I think all of us need to ask is this. Into what situation do you need to invite the Lord? What situation right now have you kind of left Jesus out of? You've kind of thought, you know what? I can handle this on my own. He's not going to walk up into this situation like he does this widow or this centurion. I can handle this on my own. And you've been trying to handle it on your own and you haven't invited the Lord into the situation. So what is it for you? Is it an illness or a tragedy or an embarrassment or a problem at work or a problem at home or a problem at school? What is it? What situation in your life right now do you need to invite the Lord into? You've, you've kind of locked him out. It's time to let him in. And if that's the case for you, then maybe here's a prayer. A simple prayer that you can pray to help you in these moments when you know you need to invite the Lord in, but you've struggled to figure out what that looks like. Just pray this. God, I ask you to come near. I know you have all the power, and I boldly ask you to heal or fix or resolve the situation. Maybe you've done that already. And there hasn't been anything any noticeable results. And if it's the case that you don't get what you want, then here's, I think, what the rest of the prayer needs to be. But I trust you either way. I need you either way. Because it's, it's, it's in these moments that we need him, even if he doesn't give us exactly what we want. And so this is the last statement I'll put on the screen. Those difficult moments that we don't get what we most want are the moments that we need Him most. Let me say that again, because I need to hear it again, and hopefully it'll sink in. Those difficult moments that we don't get what we most want are the moments that we need Him the most. And here's why. In these moments, we realize that we are not in control. As someone who likes to have control. Those are hard moments. And those are the moments that I need him the most because all of a sudden I realize that I'm not the one in charge anymore. That I'm not in control. And it turns out that these are the types of moments that I'm driven even harder to Jesus because I realize that I'm not in control. And these are the moments that I can declare the loudest. If my faith is strong like the centurion, these are the moments that I can declare in the boldest way, Lord, I need you. I need you. So this afternoon, we're going to sing one more invitation song. We've done it a couple, at least one other time today. And so if you have any need at all, I know the folks here would love to help you. Reality is, we said this morning, we're all big sinners who need a big Savior. And a lot of us are getting into some pretty big messes. We don't know how to get out of them. Maybe the reality is we need the Lord to be present to help us through them, even if He doesn't get us out of them quite like we would want Him to. These are the moments that we need Him the most. If we can help you at all, why don't you come as we stand and sing?